Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Verley, founder and CEO of Project Purple. Today, we're back in the podcast studio, and I've got a special guest for y'all. I've got coming to us all the way from Northwest Georgia, Jamie Turner. Jamie, thank you for joining us on the Project Purple podcast. Hey, man, I really appreciate the opportunity, Dino. Well, really appreciate it, Jamie. Full disclosure. Uh, before we get into why you're on the podcast and sharing a little bit uh, of you know your background story and, and what brings you to us today is you know where we connected and I've said this often um, on this podcast that you know social media and this may not seem the way right now for a lot of people um, is pretty powerful in a positive way. Um, you know I, I actually follow quite a few groups, people. And your story came up and, and it was kind of like crazy when your story came up from the Warrior Poet Warrior Poet Society, a guy by the name of, I believe, John Lovell is uh, his last name. I think he lives in Georgia. I think they're out of Georgia. Are they out of Georgia, Jamie? Yeah, they, uh, they're, uh, they're down in the Atlantic. Yeah. And so I follow John and, and follow the Warrior, po- Warrior Poet Society. And uh, I saw like your story came up. They did a video of you. And, uh, I reached right out and I was like, Hey, like how, how can I find out more about Jamie? And they were super cool to get back to me right away. They shared contact information. And then, you know, as we say, the rest is history. So, um, you know, I, I think in today's day and age where, um, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there on social media, I always try to find the positive in it. And it's been pretty amazing to connect with, survivors and fighters, you know, fighting this thing called pancreatic cancer through social media. So uh, that's how we connected. And as we always do, Jamie, here in the podcast, uh, the first segment is really our guest opportunity to share their background. And as I've said to many guests, uh, this is your opportunity to share with us your journey. Um, and you can go as far back and stay as high level as you want. And with that, the mic is yours. Well, first, let me just say that uh, I, I agree with you with the social media thing. It was it was awesome to connect with you and um, and Project Purple, and you guys do amazing work. So uh, we we and I say the we is I guess I'll speak for those of us that have been touched by by your project are very thankful for for what you guys do. Um, I guess what I what I'll do is I'll just kind of share my my whole journey i guess with with pancreatic cancer um back let's see last uh last spring um started having some uh stomach issues i guess you know i i was i had this feeling of you know kind of like indigestion and and it was just kind of all the time and and um and that and my diabetes was really, you know, giving me a fit. I, I couldn't keep sugar. My sugars leveled off no matter what I did. Um, and so I started thinking maybe there's something something going on here. Um, and then I, I, was a, I was a big guy. I, I weighed about 360 pounds. And um, we had – my wife and I had a late-in-life baby. Um, we, at the time we had a 17 year old son and my wife was pregnant. Um, so, you know, my, and so my daughter was born, um, and, uh, I was like, man, I, I gotta do something to get myself healthy because here's this sweet baby girl that's going to be counting on me for, 
for years. So I got with some guys from my church and um, they were really into working out and started working out with them. And the first the first month I, I lost about, you know, 10 pounds and I was just pumped. You know, I'm like, yes, I'm losing 10 pounds. I, You know, this is what I want. And then the second month came and I lost like almost 40 pounds in a month. Wow. And I was I was super stoked. Um, but then I I started thinking, you know, uh, this there, I don't know that this is this is absolutely right, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a my degrees in sports medicine, um, and I taught health for for many years, and so I know enough about anatomy and, and physiology and, and health that something may not just be right. And like I said, you know, I was feeling. I had all these feelings of being bloated and, and like mm-hmm. I was had indigestion and, and again my diabetes even with losing fifty pounds in two months I just couldn't get my my sugar to to balance out so I finally talked to my wife and my wife's like hey you know let, just go to the doctor just go mm-hmm. to the doctor see what he says so I'm really lucky or blessed I guess because my regular general doctor is also a very good friend to me um we go to church together and our wives are friends and i coached his son in basketball so i go and see him and i explain to him what's going on and he uh he says you know he said i i don't he said i think there's something going on here he said but i'm gonna send you to a specialist and at that moment i thought man i'm lucky because this doctor he doesn't want to be a cowboy and try to just throw stuff at it. He wants me to get checked out. So mm-hmm. off I go to, uh, to see a, a GI doctor over, um, in Rome, Georgia. I go and see this doctor and he runs some tests and, uh, I come back after getting all the tests done and he tells me I have uh, pancreatic exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, which basically means, your pancreas isn't producing enough enzymes and to digest your food and all these other things. And all the problems I was having was because my, I'm not absorbing the nutrients and stuff because my pancreas is producing enzymes. And he said, I also had a, a small ulcer in my duodenum. Hmm. And so he gives me some, um, he gives me some, some medication to take um, pancreatic enzymes and, says, take this with your meals and here's some medicine that you need to take for this ulcer and, and let's see how this goes. And I'm like, okay, great. So I start taking the medication and, um, my symptoms are just getting worse instead of better. So I go back to see the doctor and he's, he does a upper GI, uh, procedure and comes back and says, you know, I don't see a whole lot in there other than you have a spot in your duodenum. It looks like it's going to be an ulcer. Um, it's really red and, and everything. And so it gives me a, an additional medication to take. Well, again, I'm not feeling any better. I still am, have weight just peeling off of me. I mean, it, it's just, just dumping off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go back and see this guy and, and he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to send you to uh, a specialist um, at Emory University in Atlanta. And I'm like, all right, great. So 
I get this appointment with with a doctor at Emory, and you know because of COVID, you can't go see anybody at Emory. They they want to do everything you know, via video chat, yeah. telemedicine, which was fine, you know, no problem. So I my first visit with with this guy is a telemedicine appointment, and in the meantime, my wife and I had been doing a lot of research, and everything that we saw kept my symptoms kept saying there I had some sort of cancer, some sort of cancer, some sort of. Cancer. Mm-hmm. And then we talked with a doctor and, and um, he says, no, I don't think you have cancer. I just think you've got, you know, this exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. You know, I'm going to set you up for you to come in here. and We're going to do an ERCP on you. We're going to mm-hmm. get to the bottom of this. Um, so in between waiting to go see this doctor in Atlanta for an ERCP and the time I was spent with the doctor at Rome, I end up getting admitted to the hospital for pancreatitis <laughs> and um, spent two or three days there. They do an MRI study and the MRI comes back showing that my bile duct is, uh, is in distress and, and all this other stuff. And so we, we get that paper, we get that report sent to the doctor at Emory. Um, I, we uh, go on a family vacation down to uh, Orange Beach, Alabama, and we're down at the beach and we're having a good time. And I'm laying there one night in the bed talking to my wife and I turned over and you could hear in my stomach. You, it sounded like uh, an old 70s waterbed. You just slish, slosh, slish, slosh. You could hear all this. My wife was like, what in the world? And I'm like, that's my stomach. You know, there's something wrong. <laughs> so. We uh, and this has been, you know, the time frame on this is about six weeks total time since I went to see my regular doctor to up to this point that we're at the beach. Um, so, and then I I really start having a tremendous amount of stomach pain. I mean, just like nothing like I've ever felt before. And so on the way home from from vacation, I called and left a message for the doctor at, at Emory. He called me back on. And that was on a Sunday. And on Monday morning, he called me back and, and we're talking and I tell him exactly what I'm feeling. And he said, I said, listen, I said, I'm not trying to be, you know, disagreeable or anything. I said, but I really need to see you. I need for someone to tell me what's going on with hmm. my stomach. So he he brings me in uh, to do the ERCP. Um, they wake me up and and he said, hey, we couldn't do it you have uh, a really big ulcer and we couldn't get our instrument to go past it. And I'm like, okay, so what now? And so he said, you know, here's some more medicine for an ulcer. Uh, drink this. It's like a slurry. You take a pill and you crush it up in a pill crusher and you mix it up with a little bit of water and you drink it. And it's supposed to help this ulcer go away. He said, do that for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, okay, great. So, I do that. And in the meantime, I'm not getting any better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. So finally I call him and I'm like, listen, I know you said for me to come back in six weeks, but it's been two weeks. I'm worse now than I was when I saw you last. I need to know what to do. And he said, okay, well, here's what you, here's what you need to do. Uh, come to Emory, check in at the ER, tell them you're having stomach pain. Tell them that you're one of my patients and they'll they'll page me and I'll come down and I'll see you in the ER. All right, good enough. So again, COVID, my wife my wife can't go with me. Mm-hmm. 
you know, none of this. So my wife drives me to Emory in Atlanta, drops me off at the door like I'm going to summer camp with a backpack full of clothes. And and because um, I'm planning on staying. And uh, so I go in, I get seen. Um, they run, uh, they do a couple of MRIs and a CAT scan. And, and they're really concerned because all they see is this huge amount of, of fluid that built up in my stomach. Um, so they, so the doctors, uh, report back to the doctor that I had been seeing. They say, we're going to go do ERCP, you know, first thing in the morning. So they admit me next morning comes, I go in, uh, they wake me up. Hey, we still couldn't do the ERCP because we couldn't get our instruments down. Hmm. We're going to try again tomorrow. We're going to give you some medicine that maybe reduce the inflammation. This, that, the other. So they try again the next day. They still can't do it. Uh, then they tried twice on the third day. <clears throat> so I had four ERCPs in a three-day period. And none of them were successful. None of them were successful. On the fourth one, a a uh, a young lady that was um, on the on my doctor's service who happened to be there to train, <clears throat> she said, maybe we should take a biopsy of that blockage and let's see what's going on. And they're like, okay, well, that's, that's probably a good idea. And I'm like, okay, great. So <clears throat> I'm in the, laying in the hospital and um, I can't eat because my stomach's not draining. They drain three liters of, of fluid and debris out of my stomach during, during this time. Um, they're talking about, I have a drainage tube hanging out of my abdomen now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're wanting to put me on a feeding tube all these things because I'm basically starving to death um, because I can't eat. My stomach isn't draining. I'm not absorbing nutrients, any of this stuff. Uh, So I'm laying there in the bed and this is in June. Um, I've been in the hospital now for like seven days and walks this doctor Um, and he has an entourage. I mean, and when I say entourage, I mean, he's got, you know, five or six other doctors that are with him. He's just well-dressed, you know, sharp looking guy. And he comes in and um, he introduces himself and uh, he says, you know, Mr. Turner, I'm here to talk to you about what's going on with you. Um, You know, you have cancer. And I'm like, I have cancer. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm completely taken aback at this point. And he said, yeah, you have cancer, but it, it, it's a duodenal cancer. And, um, here's what we're going to do to fix you. And so he starts telling me, you know, he, he's going to do a Whipple procedure on me. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know, I guess I had never heard of it before. Um, but a Whipple procedure is basically they remove part of your stomach, uh, part of your small intestine, part of your pancreas. If you still have a, you know, sometimes they take the spleen depending on if it's in good shape or not or whatever. And so he starts telling me this and I'm, and I'm laying here in this bed by myself. And I'm all I can think of at that point is I'm going to have to call my wife and tell her over the phone. I have cancer. The one thing that we were scared to death of that everybody said wasn't going to happen is happening. Mm-hmm. So I called, he left. Um, I called my, my regular doctor. Like I said, we're good friends. I call him on the phone and tell him what's going on. 
he said, let me call him. Let me see what I can find out. So he calls him and then he calls me back. And, and so we're getting a better understanding of what's going on. So I finally call my wife, tell her what's going on. Um, and, you know, that's a hard phone call to make to tell your spouse, you know, the love of your life, your best friend. Hey, I have cancer. And you got to tell them over the phone. Um, and so they're talking about when I'm going to have surgery. And uh, like I said, it's late June. My daughter's birthday was on the second. She turned two on July 6th. And I, I said, hey, you know, I want to go home before the surgery so I could be at home for, with my with my baby girl for her birthday. Well, they're like, okay, but we have to put a feeding tube in you first. So I spent another three or four days in the hospital, um, and they put a uh, uh, a line in my arm so that I could – I had a TPN. Mm-hmm. That's how I got fed. Um, and I had to have a home health aid. I had all these crazy things that are, are happening. Um, and you're just completely – I'm just completely freaked out at this point. You know, I, I, I don't know what to think, you know, I'm like cancer really, you know, but they, the, but they kept telling me it was duodenal cancer. Mm-hmm. They basically, they're going to go in and do this Whipple procedure. They're going to cut out that the section of my duodenum that had the cancer. sew me back together. Good as new by the end of the summer, I'll, I'll be in great shape. And uh, so, you know, we're feeling pretty good about the whole process still freaked out, but, felt like we were had the, had the right surgeon and after doing some research on him and, and everything and so I come home was home for my daughter's uh for her her second birthday um and uh go back to the hospital on July the 7th the surgery's on the ninth, but they wanted me there for a couple of days to, to do blood work and all this other jazz. Hmm. So <clears throat> the surgery rolls around. Um, they, the doctor, uh, I just basically, you know, I have the surgery. They put me in a room after the surgery, they just come in and they're, they're talking to me about, the Whipple. That's all they're talking to me about is the Whipple procedure, the Whipple procedure. Hey, we had to take out 35% of your stomach. Hmm. And I'm like, man, that's a, that's a lot. Um, they took out 18 inches of my small intestine, including the, the junction at the duodenum. And I'm like, good grief. And, and, um, and then they are, they say, you know, we took out over 50% of your pancreas. And I'm like, okay. Uh, fantastic. Um, I'm like, but what about the cancer? And they're like, we feel like we got it all. And I'm like, okay. So I start asking questions, you know, was the cancer in the duodenum and this, that, or the other. And they're, they're really not giving me any, any straightforward answers. Um, and they're like, you know, doctor, the doctor will talk to you about this. The doctor will talk to you about mm-hmm. this. So I was in the hospital for another three, three or four days recovering. You know, they wanted you to get up and walk around and they really didn't want me in the hospital longer than it had to be because COVID. of COVID. And you're by yourself this whole time, right? Your wife's not at this point yeah. in July. Like they, yeah, they weren't allowing guests. It's just you by yourself no, again going to camp. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all at, at this point, I'm, um, you know, thankful for things like FaceTime, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that kind of stuff. And um, 
really, really frustrated, you know, because I felt I was alone and I'm not used to being alone. You know, I've been married for 20 years and, and my wife is my best friend. And, you know, we do everything and we go everywhere together. And, and I was missing my daughter and missing my son. And uh, so <clears throat> I finally um, I go home. Or I come home from the hospital. And, you know, my in-laws and my parents and a lot of people are like, well, what's going to happen next? You know, are you going to have to have chemo? Are you going to have this? And I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, I, I have to wait until I go back and see the see the surgeon to figure out exactly what's going on. And my wife, um, my wife is not someone that's patient when it comes to things of this nature. I mean, she wants to she wants answers now. And so she pressed me pretty hard. And, and which in turn made me press the doctor pretty hard. And after about three or four phone calls, I finally get him on the phone and I say, I need to know what's going on. You know, I'm not really getting a lot of information. He said, well, I don't like to talk about cancer diagnosis over the phone. And I'm like, okay, but I'm not scheduled to see you for eight weeks. I was like, so I want to know what's going on. So <clears throat> I'll never forget my wife was, we were driving. And I asked her to stop and pull over and I get out of the car so I could hear because the baby was, you know, talking. And so I get out of the car and um, he says, OK, well, if you want to do this over the phone, we can. He said, but just know that I don't like it. I'm like, you know, whatever. So he tells me um, you didn't have cancer of the duodenum. You had cancer of the pancreas. Mm. And right then and there, um, I felt like somebody just kicked me in the teeth because I know, and I'm as you do that most pancreatic cancer diagnoses are uh, it's a death sentence. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, get your fares in order because this is, this is not going to end well. So I get off the phone with them. I tell my wife, my wife just breaks down. We're at, we're parked at, at a car wash and uh, my wife breaks down and, and I'm like, you know, let's just go home. Let's, let's get home. We'll talk about it there. You know, we'll, we'll start figuring this out. So my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, um, we, we, my wife tells them, I tell my parents, my in-laws are like, listen, we, we know a doctor that you should see an oncologist. Um, and it was at the MD Anderson clinic in, in Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, down at Piedmont hospital. So, so my father-in-law makes a couple calls, um, because he's got a relationship with this guy, uh, because he was my mother-in-law's breast cancer doctor oncologist. <clears throat> so we end up going down there and seeing this, seeing this guy and, he, he says, you know, I got all your records from Emory. Um, this is what we, this is what we need to do. This is the chemo regimen you need to be on. Um, but we feel like that with the surgery that you had um, and this chemo regimen that, that we're talking about, a curative process, not palliative. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. And I had they staged me at stage two B hmm. 
which basically meant that I had um, the cancer in the pancreas and then I had three lymph nodes that were involved. Um, so initially the oncologist said I had stage three. Uh, and I said, no, sir, you, you need to go back and look at that because I only had three lymph nodes involved. Stage three is above three lymph nodes. Hmm. And so he came back and he was like, oh, yeah, hey, you're right. You, you've you done your research on this. And I'm like, yeah, man, I, I'm, you know, trying to get all this figured out. So <clears throat> I can't do anything with uh, to start chemo until my surgical field has healed up. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's no tissue breakdown and things of that nature. <clears throat> so I waited about another four weeks. I went back and saw the doctor at MD Anderson. Um, he was a fantastic guy. One of the nicest people you've ever met. Very smart. Um, very good doctor. You know, you talk to some of his other patients and everybody just loved him. <clears throat> so he gets me set up to come back for my first chemo treatment the following week. And, uh, we go down there now we're two hours away from, mm. from where this place is, from where we live. And, uh, we decided we, you know, we went down the night before and spent the night. And so we would be there on time. And, uh, in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, this is a lot of my family because, you know, my wife is packing up our, our baby girl to take her and they're going to sit in the car for eight hours in a parking lot while they're waiting on me because they're telling me my infusions are going to last seven to eight hours. Mm -hmm. The reality uh, of COVID now with, you know, you can't, yeah, exactly, it's like, you're going exactly. to, like you said, I mean, you, can't, you can't go to the mall. You can't really, you don't no. want to go walk around the Petri dish of Walmart. You know, <laughs> you just, <laughs> you, you're just kind of stuck. Yeah. And, um, so I had my first treatment, uh, my, uh, chemo, they put me on full Furanox mm -hmm. and full Furanox is, from what I'm told, one of the harshest chemo treatments that there is. Mm -hmm. um, I had my first treatment, went home. Uh, I was going every two weeks for this, and I had to wear a pump. Mm -hmm. So I, one of the one of the medicines had to be infused over a 42 hour period. Mm -hmm. So I got the pump on a Monday, and then go back down there to get it off on a Wednesday. So my wife and I were talking, we're like, man, this is, this is rough. This is going to be rough coming down here, you know, four times a month. You know, I wasn't working at this point. Um, my wife was hurt the, where she worked had closed up because of COVID. And we're like, this is, this is going to be rough. You know, it, it's going to cost us about $60 in fuel every time we go down there and, and all these other things that we're really trying to pinch pennies everywhere we could. Well, a friend of my wife's, who's a nurse, and she'd worked in oncology at, at our local hospital here, suggested that we see this other doctor. And I was a little apprehensive about it because, um, you know, I really liked the doctor I was seeing in Atlanta. So we prayed about it. And we really, you know, we're, we're a very, you know, Christ-centered family, and, and we... Uh, we go to, you know, we pray about everything. Um, and so after praying about it and before my second treatment, we get, we get an appointment with this doctor in Dalton, Georgia, which is 20 minutes from where we live. Mm -hmm. Go and see, 
go and see Dr. Turner and, um, he is in total agreements with everything that, that the doctor in the doctor in Atlanta is doing. Um, feels like it's the right regime. Uh, you know, he, he called and talked to him on the phone. He talked to my regular doctor. He talked to the surgeons at Emory, you know, here's a guy, he's super communicative and, and that you don't just see that all the time. Um, and he said that he would take me on. And I was like, this is fantastic. I tell, I tell my wife, Kim, I'm like, Kim, you know, you could take me to my treatments and drop me off and go back home. You know, it's only 20 minutes. And she, or, or for that matter, my son could take me and, um, you know, on his off days when he wasn't working or at school or whatever. So we make the move, we jump and we go to, uh, the cancer center in Dalton at Hamilton hospital. And, um, and my doctor, it, you know, his name is, his last name is Turner as well Dr. Eric Turner. And, um, I, so I go there for my first treatment and everybody is super nice. It's a brand new facility, you know, everything that you could want. And, uh, um, and that's where I stayed. And I remember thinking to myself the first day I was there, I wasn't feeling real great. And I just remember thinking, I'm sure glad I only have to go 20 minutes home and not two hours and be be stuck in Atlanta traffic. So I did 11, 11 treatments there, um, at, uh, at the cancer center in Dalton. Um, I had, oh man, it, you know, I had every, I had all kinds of crazy side effects um, from the full furanox. Most of them digestive issues, you know, just you can't eat because you're nauseated all the time or, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you're spending an enormous amount of time in the bathroom. And uh, <laughs> I remember telling my wife one time, and it sounds a little crude, but it was funny. I said, you know, we need to buy a stock in Charmin because we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> Um, that's post pandemic too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you can't <laughs> exactly. So, um, I, I guess I've been, I've, I finished my, my last chemo treatment was, um, about three weeks ago. Uh, got to ring the bell and, um, it was amazing. And I can remember just thinking, I'm so glad to be done with chemo. And, uh, uh, then I, my surgeons from Emory had, had said that they really felt like I needed radiation to go mm-hmm. along with it. And Dr. Turner, um, referred me to a radiation oncologist that was there in the cancer center. I went and saw him and, um, he said, you know, yeah, I feel like you need radiation, but, uh, also you're going to need, you know, five more chemo treatments. And that was that was a, a kick in the gut, man. I, I was so ready to be done with chemo. Um, and then know that now I've got five more along with 28, 28 radiation treatments. I'm just like, man, this is, this is harsh. And, um, we were driving home and, and, uh, I told my wife, I was like, I can't do it. I can't, I, I can't do any more chemo. I can do the radiation, but I can't do the chemo. And, and she said, Hey, you know, uh, remember what you what you promised me and i'd promised my wife long ago when all this started that i would do whatever it took to get better um 
And she never threw that in my face <laughs> at all. But she reminded me of it on the way home. And I said, you know, I, I got to process this. And I saw the, the radiation oncologist on a Wednesday. And um, I spent Thursday trying to just absorb it all. And um, and I said, you know, I just got to be able to to get, get my mindset on this because I was so set on being finished with chemo. And um, so I, I finally, I guess – it's like I, I told one of my friends, I said, you know, it's, it's kind of like getting ready for, for a game, mm-hmm. you know, um, you got to flip the switch. You got to be able to go boop, flip the switch. Okay. Now I'm ready. Let's go. I said, and I'm just not ready to flip the switch yet. And, um, uh, I'm a coach. I've coached, you know, most of my adult life. Uh, I, uh, have been associated with athletics and, um, I coach basketball at our church school and, and, uh, I I just kind of thought about, <clears throat> you know, what we do to prepare for games and stuff. And I was like, you know, this is just what I got to do. And so I told, I told my wife, I was like, just give me a day, just give me a day. Let me process this and then I'll be ready to go. And, and so here we are. Uh, I went this week, um, I guess it was Monday uh, to, for them to do the 4d mapping mm-hmm. for, for the radiation. And um, I, I walked in the door there. I flipped switch and ready to go. Uh, I got to wait about probably another week and a half before I start the radiation and the, in the second round of chemo. But, um, I, I guess, you know, we're ready to go. Um, I'm ready for it. I'll do whatever it takes to get better. Um, I got a two year old, uh, beautiful baby girl that, uh, I plan on being around for, for a really long time. My son is 19. Um, and still needs his dad and and then my wife so so that's it i mean that's that's my story you know it's uh it's crazy um not really looking forward to having additional chemo treatments but once again you know i'll do whatever it, it is that we have to do i started these <laughs> it's funny because <clears throat> when i was all this stuff started i was posting stuff on social media about about uh you know, whatever. And, and I, I started a, the hashtag winning is the only option. And another one that was uh, defeat the reaper, which my wife absolutely hated, but it was just like, <laughs> it was just, Hey, you know, this is, this is my mindset. I am going to defeat the reaper. And uh, so that's, that's where we're going to go. You know, uh, cancer sucks. That's another hashtag that I stole from somebody else. And, um, but between that and, and my mindset of, you know, I'm going to beat this, um, I, we're going to beat it. And, um, we're, I guess at this point, 75% done. Uh, um, and, uh, we, you know, that's, that, I guess that's the story. Wow. I, I've got some questions here. I took two pages of notes. So, uh, just bear with me here, Jamie. What, what's yep. your, what's your age? How old are you? I am 47. Wow. So this, this, the, you buck all the trends that, you know, the, not the trend, but you buck all the, the, the myths that pancreatic cancer is an old person's disease. Yeah. Yes, that's what, that's what we hear from so many people. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we talk, I've talked to thousands of people over the last 10 years that I've been doing this and they're like, oh, that's an old person disease. No, it's not. 
No, because I don't, uh, you know, my lifestyle wasn't always, I didn't, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up your skirt. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have the greatest lifestyle for a really long time. You know, I, um, I, uh, I lived life, you know, yeah. I, I was overweight. I was diabetic. I had had a heart attack, you know, a few years back. Um, and that wasn't enough of a wake up call for me to get my, my tail in gear. Um, you know, it was for a little bit and then I fell off the wagon and, um, well, I think hindsight, um, hindsight's always twenty twenty, though, Jamie, oh, sure, too. You sure, know what I mean? I think we can sit here and, you know, you can always look I could back. what if it all day yeah. long, but, you know, it, it is what it is at yeah. this point. Yeah, you have to move forward. A question about, and, and thanks for sharing that, uh, about your health. I know in the beginning you said you're like 360, you had diabetes. So maybe you've heard this, you know, there is a link now that they say to um, type 3 diabetes is, I guess, the term we're using um, medically, which is, um, you know, someone who doesn't have any pre-existing health issues, but, um, late onset, healthy, older, 40 and up, um, and just get diabetes. So there's a lot of thinking that, you know, this is yeah. kind of like this precursor to what's happening in the pancreas. So was, right. was your I was diabetes? With, I was diagnosed with diabetes. Um, I guess I was probably 30 um, late twenties, early thirties. Uh, I was, you know, we, we actually, I guess my son, yeah, yeah. I was probably in my early thirties. I, I was 28 when my son was born. So, um, you know, we, uh, I, I had a pretty good doctor down in Florida who, who diagnosed me and, um, you know, I mean, it, I was destined to get it to be honest with you. Yeah, it's overweight. I, drink a lot of soda, ate a lot of chicken wings, drink, mm -hmm. drink beer, you know, all the things that you shouldn't do. Um, and plus I had it, uh, there was a, uh, a familial history, history of it. And it just kind of came on and, um, it's progressively gotten worse as it normally does if you're a bad diabetic. And mm -hmm. I would say that I was probably a bad diabetic at that time. So, uh, meaning that I didn't really take good, good care of myself. Um, so I went from taking metformin to being on insulin and, and that kind of stuff. So losing all the weight now, going through this episode, did you stay a diabetic because of the Whipple or did it kind of, uh, alleviate the diabetes because of the weight loss and some of the other um, things? Well, let's see. At this point, I've lost 200 pounds. I weighed 165 pounds this morning. Um, so over a nine month period, basically, I lost 195 pounds. Um, but there, I had, there was a lot of question about what, how the Whipple would affect my diabetes by losing a portion of the, you know, a large portion of the pancreas. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a full-time endocrinologist now that I see. And to be perfectly honest, my diabetes, um, I'm not going to say it's better, but I'm also not going to say it's worse. Um, it's, it's more manageable now, yeah. um, because I'm on an insulin pump. Yep. Um, so that really makes my diabetes so much more manageable. Um, and I'm not all the time having to check my sugar and mm -hmm. give myself shots because I have these, these contraptions that are attached to my body that, uh, take all that guesswork out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the pump just does, you know, what? the only thing I have to do is, is watch my carb intake and put the number of carbs I'm eating. 
yeah. in program into my pump and the pump said, okay, you need this much insulin. So there you go. You're good to go. So, um, so it, it, it's not better, but it's not worse. It's just me. It, I, I think the insulin pump and having an endocrinologist is making it manageable. Okay. Um, question that um, I have here too, just looking back at the history um, not necessarily you. I know you said you had heart attack, health issues, which we've already discussed. But what about cancer? Um, was there is there a history in your family with cancers and any cancers in general? No. Um, I'll tell you what's weird though is is my mom um, had a really significant pancreatic can uh, not cancer but pancreatic history. Hmm. Um, she was, she had a, I, I don't remember the name of the condition, but she basically, her pancreas, um, when she was in, in utero being developed, um, her pancreas developed with two bile ducts hmm. and, um, that always kind of gave her problems. So about seven or eight years ago, she had a full, um, pancreatectomy, but they, they did an islet cell transplant where they, they transplanted islet cells from her pancreas into her liver, very uh, new new age type surgery. Mm-hmm. And the hopes were that the liver would absorb those islet cells and produce insulin so she wouldn't have to be, you know, a diabetic. Mm-hmm. She would have to take diabetic, or not diabetic, she would have to take pancreatic enzymes mm-hmm. to digest her food, but she wouldn't have to do the whole diabetes thing. And, um, at first that surgery was, was moderately successful. Um, but since then she's become diabetic and, um, she has a lot of pancreatic problems. When the, uh, when I was telling the doctor this, um, the, the, uh, the gastroenterologist that I saw in Rome, he was very interested. So they did, they did a, uh, genetic panel mm-hmm. on me to see if there was anything that was going to come back. And everything came back normal. I had no, no hmm. genetic precursors or anything. Um, and uh, so, you know, we thought, well, maybe there's something there that I inherited from from my mom. Or yeah. But there was nothing there. Um, just, I guess, I just got lucky. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. you call it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one way to to look at it, right? Um, you know, yeah. I mean the genetics has been such a big deal, and that, and that was another question. Um, and I know you'd mentioned in the 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 journey, you'd mentioned that the family had a diabetic history. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, I mean, science we're all, we're trying to get this thing, you know, better and better as much as we can, and and we do understand. And I say we as as I'm I'm not a scientist, but I know talking to so many of them you know, that genetics play such a big part of it. And that's something that we've been really big on here. Um, you know, but we do know with this cancer in particular that, you know, 10% of the cases do come from some sort of genetic mutation. So it's good to hear that they did do the genetic piece and they ruled out that, you know, that was, uh, that was not the case, um, which is good because, you know, from talking to many families over the years, you know, unfortunately they don't get that option of, of, you know, having the genetic piece done, um, automatically. A lot of times people have to advocate for it. I know in certain countries, like in Australia, it's not common practice, you know? So, um, you know, it's really kind of frustrating, but it's good that, you know, they did that all here. Um, 
you know, and, and that it is kind of interesting, you know, I guess from, from my perspective that you're, you know, your mom had this history of issues with pancreas and what are the odds, right? Like that now yeah, you go down exactly. that same road. Um, exactly. I, I've got a, there, there's a big question here. Um, and I'll get to another one here in a second, but I mean, you, you talked about, and, and, and I loved your analogy. It's like you, when the first time that your wife dropped you off at the ER is like going to summer camp. And I don't know if our audience listening at home, I mean, I think, you know, this pandemic has, you know, and the media has done an awful job. And what I mean by that is I think they've put a lot of scare in people. Uh, and I'm not trying to downplay the risk of COVID here, but I think like people are so, I wouldn't say brainwashed, but watch the news and it's all bad, 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 bad. Um, and again, this is serious, but I don't know if people really understand like what it feels like for... And, and we've been really vocal about this, you know, pancreatic cancer, everything in the world has been canceled, but pancreatic cancer hasn't been canceled. And wow. what it is for patients, especially you, like you went through, we've had patients on the show that have talked about like before, you know, like, hey, I was going in, had my wife, would be able to bring in friends. And now it's like, like you said, like you're dropped off at the door, see you later. Um, you know, how that's been for you mentally, maybe to talk about for a second, because, you know, you said like, you know, you're walking in with a bag, you got to use FaceTime, like you probably don't get many visitors because I'm sure the staff just from a, from a procedural standpoint, they're probably not coming in. Well, they probably do come in when they're supposed to, but maybe not as much as they would in a, in a pre-COVID existence where nurses and doctors would check in on patients more frequently. Um, and as you said, like with the Whipple, like as soon as you're ready to go home, they send you home, which is a little bit different than in the past because they would make sure that everything is working. So how, how has that been like to deal with this during that, this whole kind of, during think, this pandemic? I think the, uh, I think the worst part of it really is, is the physically being alone. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because like I said, you know, for 20 years, I've been married to this woman and, uh, and she's been my rock the whole time. And, but my wife is also someone that's very sensitive and, and, and she needs me as much as I need her. Um, and I think that day that I left that she dropped me off at Emory at the emergency room, it, it was such a weird feeling because I knew that we both knew something was wrong, but we didn't know how long I was going to be there. Was I going to be there a day? Was I going to be there a week? Um, you know, she had questions that I couldn't answer. Um, and, you know, you don't see a doctor except maybe every couple of days or whatever, you know, and the mental side of that was, was pretty hard um, because you're hearing these diagnosis and, and you're like whoa like i said it, it was really hard i had to call and tell her over the phone um and not being able to you know have someone there to hold your hand basically while you're going through this is is rough and uh because at any other time you know my wife would have not left my side mm -hmm. but she she couldn't she couldn't be there and i that was really hard on her. Um, I remember her telling me over the phone, you know, I just can't believe I can't be there with you. I can't be there with you. And I want to be there with you. And, um, you know, I, I have 
lots of family here where we live, uh, in-laws and things that would have would have been there. My parents would have come from South Carolina and and been and been in my room the whole time, you know, but but you couldn't. And um because nobody knew what to expect from COVID. And no and and in Atlanta being at Emory um, you know, Emory's a, a university hospital. They do a lot of research and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, they, they were really, I mean, they, you know, they wanted me up and moving around and walking after the Whipple, but man, you know, I better have had a mask on and, and this, that, or the other. And, um, I'm like, man, you know, it's hard enough to breathe after getting your gut poked yeah. open, but now you want me to wear a mask yeah, too. Good. And so I, I just kind of stayed in my room a lot and just walked as much as I could around my room, I would go out in the, and walk it a little bit in the hallways and stuff. Um, but they're like, Hey, put a mask on or, you know, don't, don't go over there. That's a COVID, that's a COVID area. And you're like, well, you know, label this or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> give me a map, you know? And, yeah. and, um, but you know, I, I, there was, there was a lot, a lot to be said for the mental side of it. Now I will say this when I went for my very first, um, chemo treatment at Piedmont hospital at the MD Anderson clinic there at Piedmont. Um, they did let my wife come up to the infusion center. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was able to come in there and kind of get me situated, you know, help me get my, you know, get my iPad connected to their internet and, uh, you know, just make sure I had everything nearby what I needed. Cause I didn't know what to expect. I'd never had chemo treatment before. Um, and so, you know, again, we were blessed because my son would went with us and stayed at, stayed with our daughter and while, while Kim helped me get situated and she could come back and bring me lunch or whatever, but you know, she couldn't stay, mm-hmm. but she could come and kind of come in and out every, every few hours or whatever. So, so we did that. And then when I got, uh, when I went to the cancer center in Dalton, um, after about, I don't know, I think maybe after three or four treatments, they kind of let, let up a little bit on the visitation, mm-hmm. um, situation and someone, and you could bring someone with you up there. So, uh, my son would go with me once in a while. My wife would come up there, uh, you know, once in a while. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, our life doesn't stop just because you have cancer, you know? And, and so, you know, and you have a busy two year old, you you know, my wife has got to take care of her and and she has, you know, a business that she was trying to get back going after, you know, COVID and, and all these things. And um, so I think, you know, it's lonely is what it boils down to. It really is lonely. And, um, but I, I was really lucky, man because I had so many friends um, and people that would reach out, you know, via social media, text, phone calls, whatever that yes, it was lonely physically because there was somebody there, but mentally I could connect with, with old friends and, mm-hmm. and made new friends and the, the nurses and the staff at, at the, at the people's cancer center there in, in Dalton. Um, they're just fantastic. You know, they'd come by and, I talk to you and want to get to know you and, and, um, really kind of went out of their way. I think to spend some time just knowing that you're there and what you're going through and you can't, maybe you don't have somebody there with you just 
you know, spend five or 10 minutes talking to you every couple hours. And it meant something, you know? So it was lonely at first, but it got better. And I think at the same time you adjust to it. Well, you know, you said something before, man, when, you know, like that just really hit me, you know, when you're describing your journey, how, you know, you know, you're, you're the one the doctor gives the results and there's no one there to comfort you. Right. And, you know, that's just like, it's such a dark place and a dark feeling. Um, my next question I had to hear, and and you've mentioned this a couple of times and, uh, you know, you've talked a lot about your family, your immediate family, your in-laws. Um, but you mentioned friends a lot. Um, you know, in the beginning, you, you know, you talked about, you know, when you tried to, you know, when you, when you started to turn things around, you know, health wise, you had church friends, you guys started working out. Um, I know before we hit record, you and I were just talking about, you know, previous, you know, work that you did with your brother-in-law, I believe. And you know how, you know, you guys work together. Like what's that meant for you during this time? You know, your family and friends. Well, I will say this. I mean, and everybody says that, you know, you, you got great friends and family. You got, you know, and um, it was crazy because uh, I have a, there's a, I have a group of, of three friends um, that I went to high school with. Uh, I'm an, originally from Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I have this, this group of three friends that, um, We've been friends since we were freshmen in high school, man. And that's like 30, 30 some odd years. Wow. And they, they called me and they're like, Hey man, this, this was the weekend before, uh, the last weekend before chemo. They called up and they're like, Hey, you know, we know what you're fixing to go through is, is going to suck. Uh, we want to, we want to do something. Let's, let's, let's take a road trip. Let's, let's go do something. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever, but we just got to be careful because of COVID, you know? Um, and so they show up here on a Friday night at like three o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> and, um, after drive working all day, they drove all night and got here. And so we, uh, the next morning, well, really not even next morning, about a couple hours later after visiting for a little bit, like five in the morning, we, we jumped in the, in the truck and, uh, with my son in tow. And, um, here's my son hanging out with all these old dudes, you know, <laughs> kind of funny. And we, uh, we're like, we went to, uh, Louisville, Kentucky and, uh, we went to see Churchill Downs. Um, cause you could go in, you know, you gotta walk around, wander around and that just kind of a sports place to go. Mm-hmm. And then we went to, uh, the Louisville Slugger Museum, um, oh, wow to see, you know, see how they make baseball bats and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, it was awesome. It was awesome because these guys, they didn't the whole time that we were gone. I mean, it was just, a, it was just a day trip, but that entire day we didn't talk about cancer. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about anything. We talked about stupid stuff we did in high school and, um, you know, we talked about sports and, and we stopped at the National Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky on the way back. You know, we talked about cars. And right at the very end, we were probably 30 minutes from, from getting back to my house in Georgia. And uh, one of my friends said to me, can you just, just tell me what you, how you feel about all this? 
and, and that was the only time we discussed cancer. Hmm. Um, and you know, my dad was, and that was awesome, you know, cause I didn't want to talk about it. And my dad was the same way. My dad would call me on the phone and we would talk and we would talk about the same things we always talked about. You know, we talked about sports and we talked about the Miami dolphins and the Miami hurricanes and because we're huge hurricanes and dolphins fans. And, and we would talk about that stuff. And I didn't want to talk about cancer. You know, cancer was everything that was staring me in the face. It was, it was knocking me down. I needed to do something different. Um, you know, my, my, uh, my doctor, my general doctor, and I, like I've said a couple of times, you know, we're friends and he and I would go and, um, we would go shoot guns Mm -hmm. and, or he would come and, and take me to breakfast or something on a, on a Saturday morning. And we didn't talk about cancer. <clears throat> and that was huge. You know, because honestly, Dino, I don't, I don't want to talk about cancer all the time. And I didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to just still be Jamie. And I, I still wanted to, you know, do whatever it is to, that I would do. But I will tell you this. One of the uh, – a lot of cool stuff has happened to me since – since this all started and right after I came home from the hospital, from the Whipple procedure, um, the guy that's my assistant, uh, basketball coach, he called me up and he said, Hey coach, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, nothing, man, just I'm at the house, just hanging out. You know, he said, well, I was just wondering if, if I put a mask on, can I come by and visit you? And I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. So <clears throat> he, uh, he shows up, and not and knocks on the door and he was like hey coach man can, let's sit outside it's really nice and i'm like okay you know it wasn't nice it's freaking july in <laughs> georgia and it's 100 degrees outside you know but you know whatever uh so we i walk out the door and in my driveway man is uh i the the school i coach at is is one of our church schools and it's grades k through eight and basketball is middle school age, so grades mm-hmm. six through eight. And um, I walk out there, and there's every kid um, that I've ever coached basketball mm. um, in this town was standing in my driveway, because we have a our church we have we have the lower school and we have an upper school which is high school. Mm. So they went and they picked up the kids from the high school that played for me the kids at the, at the elementary school that played for me. And here's all these kids in my driveway and their parents mm. and they're all there and, and they're just there because they want to show support. Wow. <clears throat> and it was one of the coolest things I've ever experienced in my life, man. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, each kid, said something you know hey coach remember this time or hey coach remember you know remember when you got a technical foul because you you know <laughs> you know all these things you know and it's it's just cool you know and um like i told you before you know i've spent a, a good portion of my adult life you know i, I taught school for a really long time and i and i was uh, i coached um i i was athletic trainer for football team and, and you know director of sports medicine but i actually coached baseball Um, down in Florida at at the high school I worked at. And so many of those kids 
that are adults now have reached out to me during this time. You know, coach, you know, you're always there for me. I'm here if you need anything. Uh, you know, it's just been, it's just been amazing. You know, it's just been amazing. And cause here, here, here I am, you know, cause a lot of times with chemo and stuff, I don't, I would, I wouldn't sleep. I would just be up and I'd be on Facebook or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, some kid would, would be like, was well, not even a kid. And I mean, they're a grown man now, they're 30 years old. You know, see you online and Hey coach, you know, you need anything. Uh, just want you to know, I love you. And, and I'm here if you need something. And that's been cool. You know, I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom not having that support. Um, it's pretty but, special. But then, yeah. But then, you know, there's my, my wife, uh, which, you know, I heard on one of your shows, you know, somebody mentioned how, you know, cancer just doesn't affect the patient. Cancer, cancer affects everybody that knows the patient, every mm-hmm. family member. And it's true. You know, my wife spent an enormous amount of time taking care of me, being there for me, um, loving me on days when the steroids were making me crazy, um, you know, just loving me through it. I mean, what more could you ask for? <clears throat> my son, you know, stepping up, doing things that you normally wouldn't ask your, your 18, 19 year old kid to do, you know, because it, it's, it's the dad's job to, to do this or do that. But he, he would make sure that things like make sure our yard was, you know, stayed in order and, and made sure that, you know, he was there to help his mom, you know, bring in groceries or, or, or just being there for me, taking me back and forth to treatments or, or just sitting and talking to me, or we would sit downstairs and play call of duty or, or, you know, just, just stuff. My, my wife and my son just, they're just amazing, you know, just absolutely amazing. And, um, complete strangers, you know, uh, that reached out to me through the warrior poet society to tell me that they were praying for me. And like I told you earlier, you know, we're a praying family and uh, we go to a praying church and, um, that's not something that I take lightly. I mean, we truly were blessed because of the the number of people that prayed for us, perfect strangers, you know, best friends, you know, family, just, just been amazing. Powerful. I got a question here. I got two more questions left, maybe three here. You mentioned faith a lot. Um, what has that meant to you? I mean, I know you just said you're praying family, but you know, you're involved. It sounds like you've been involved in the church uh, at many levels, um, socially, uh, you know, mentoring, you know, coaching. Um, how has that gotten you through this, this time, Jamie? Because, it, you know, I, I, I don't think I, I truly, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry. I truly feel like um, that without that without that faith, mm-hmm. um, without the knowledge that that you know God was with me through this whole thing, I would I I don't think I would have made it. I think I would have fallen apart mentally. I think I would have let the sickness kind of take over take over me. Um, you know, one of my one of my really good friends that I coached with in Florida and we've stayed, 
we've stayed very close for a really long time. Um, I always remember used to tell our used to tell our 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 ball clubs, you know, attitude is everything. Attitude mm-hmm. is everything. And um, I remember he he told me that one night we were talking. We we had prayed together over the phone, and he said, "Hey, man, just remember, attitude is everything." And it, it truly is. I just had the mindset that, you know, with the help of my, my family, um, and with my faith in, in God, that, that we were going to make it through. And there's no, there's no doubt, man, that I know that there's days that I should not have been able to get out of bed, that I didn't feel like getting out of bed, you know, but I did. And I feel like, you know, Christ was there with me. And on those days where I couldn't do it, he carried me. Mm. And, um, I feel like I never, I never asked why, you know what I mean? Like I, I never said, why do I have cancer? Why do I have mm-hmm. cancer? You know, I was never angry about it. And that is truly a God thing for me. Um, and I think, I think when this is when all the dust settles, Nino, I'm going to have this testimony to tell people if it helps one person get through chemo or it helps one person, you know, come to come to God. This was this would have all this would all be worth it. So for me, my faith has been has been absolutely everything. That's pretty profound, uh, profound statement, man, to hear someone say, you know, you're going through this and. If that shared experience helps one person, it's powerful. Um, I've got a, I, I got a two questions left, but something that just plain came up, and and this was in my notes. And I've talked about this often on the show. Like there's, I, I and as as the interviewer here and taking notes, I often see like an arc that people have been on with certain things, whether it's a journey, experiences they've had earlier in their life that prepare them for this thing that they're dealing with now. But there's been a lot of talk about mindset. Where does that come from? Like, did that start early on for you, Jamie? I mean, just you've said so many amazing little nuggets sayings and, and and I know some of it goes back to sports, some of it goes back to faith, some of it goes back to family, but that's a mindset that you've had. Was that something that if you look back in your 47 years, something that you learned from a parent, something that started early on, or was it someone later in life that, you know, kind of just it clicked and the light bulb went off and that's just you move forward um, from that point? You know, I, I wish that I could tell you that I always had the mindset that I have now. I wish I could say that I've always had that mindset. Um, it's just something that has kind of clicked. Um, you know, like I said, I, I've been associated with sports my mm-hmm. entire life. I've either played sports or, or been a coach or, or a spectator or something like that. And so I, I, I get a lot of like inspiration, I guess, mm-hmm. from, from sports. Um, and I, I just, I felt like, I felt like at this point in my life, um, I felt like the, my son was watching. <clears throat> Sorry. 
I felt like my son was watching. And he needed to see that uh, <clears throat> that cancer was not going to define me. Mm-hmm. And I, <clears throat> I just refused to, to be a victim. You know, like I, cancer, I, I remember telling, telling my mom that, uh, you know, I was going to beat it. That, that that cancer would be a bump, a bump in the road, but by no means whatsoever would cancer be my last story. And it hasn't. <laughs> two of my uh, two of my best friends um, from college. Uh, my two of my fraternity brothers call me up on a Friday and they're like, "Hey man, we want to come visit. Can we can we come come visit you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man, come on." So they they drive over from uh, from South Carolina and uh, we're sitting in the living room. And again, it's one of those things, man. We're we're talking about old college days. We're talking about fishing. We're talking about deer hunting. We're talking about you know all these different things. And uh, my one my one friend says. Man, you know, he said, you look good. He was like, I fully expected to walk in here and, and see you just look like death warmed over. He said, but you don't. He said, I don't I don't know where you get it from. And he's like, I've never seen someone with cancer that looks healthy. And, uh, and I said, man, I, I just think it's because I, I don't want this to, to be who I am. I just, I, I still want to be me. And, um, it, I, I just really feel like that mindset, it, and I think it came a lot from from my faith. I think a lot of times I would I I spend a lot of time praying and just asking the Lord, you know, get me through another day, get me through another day. <clears throat> um, I think a lot of it came from experiences in 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 coaching and in uh, playing sports. A tremendous amount of it came from my kid, my son, you know, not wanting him to, to see me mm-hmm. fall on my face. Um, and I got to give a lot of credit to my wife because my wife, she would say, you gotta, <clears throat> you gotta get up because, you know, you got, you got two kids that are counting on you. And, uh, you know, she, she was amazing. Still is. She held my hand the entire time. Hmm. And I, uh, I didn't want to fail. <clears throat> Man. Well, Sorry. No, this, this whole no. thing has made me like um, an emotion. I went from being an unemotional person <laughs> to being someone. That, <laughs> I watch Rudy and cry now. I mean, my gosh. That's, that's but, all right uh, though. That's all right, Jamie. Um, I mean, you, 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 uh, you know, it's a pretty powerful message. It's raw and it's real, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing about it. And that's, you know, I guess the bottom line is that, you know, um, my wife was there every step of the way. She held my hand every step of the way, even on days I didn't deserve it when I was acting like a jackass, you know, she was right there and, and picking up the pieces and putting it back together. Same with my son. You know, I, there was days that he and I just, 
clashed, but you know, he would always tell me he loved me and, and, uh, that baby girl, man, see her out in the Cinderella dress in the living room, <laughs> spinning in circles. I mean, how could that not make you happy? You know, uh, doesn't get any better than that, man. No, dude. And, and you know what? I just think that at the end of the day for me, um, you know, I remember, you know, thinking about, I gotta have, I gotta have a, a, a mindset that I can win, mm-hmm. you know, cause this is, this is the big game and, uh, and we're not done yet, but we're in the fourth quarter and <laughs> we got a big lead. So bring it home. That's it. That's it. Two more questions. And, and these are, uh, I always preface this by saying that they're they're somewhat loaded, but there's no right or wrong to it. First one is, what advice, there's someone listening to this podcast that just got diagnosed, maybe they've gone down a similar journey in terms of how they were diagnosed. What bit of advice, what's maybe the best thing that you would say to them? Or, uh, I would say, um, you know, really hold, hold tight to your loved ones mm-hmm. um, cuz they're the ones that are that are going to help get you through it you know you could have a great doctor and great nurses and staff and uh, odds are they're going to do their you know they're going to do their job and they're going to do it to the best of their ability so you don't have to really worry about that but hold close to your loved ones um, let them know you love them and they'll let you know they love you uh and if you're if you're a person that has faith, cling strong to it. Mm-hmm. Cling strong to it because it'll get you through. It'll get you through the dark days, and it'll make the light days even brighter. And uh, you know, find something to do to occupy your time. That's the one thing I wish that I would have done a little bit more of is had is occupied my time a little better when I was sitting at home instead of just. You know, sitting in a chair with my feet up watching TV. I wish I would have, you know, you know, learned a second language or something. <laughs> something to keep your mind sharp. You know, uh, hindsight's but, always twenty twenty, man. Like, don't beat yourself up, man. You, yeah, you know? no. I mean, you know, I, I it is what it is. Yeah. But uh, I, I just feel like, you know, I gotta laugh, Jamie, goes. at that. Like, learn a second language. I don't think I've ever. Heard <laughs> I mean, say you know, like I. I, I bought a, I, my wife bought me this thing cause I, I love to fish. Like I'm, yeah. I fishing is next to my, my wife and, and my faith in my family. Fishing is like right there, you know? And, and, um, I always wanted to learn how to tie flies. Well, my wife got me this cool kit to learn how to tie flies, but I have such bad neuropathy in my oh, hands. Oh, it's I so hard. I yeah. can't, I can't do much of anything with it. Yeah. You know? So I was like, man, I should find something else to do, but. You know, I read some books or read some magazines and, you know, watched the prices right. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, My last question here, and this is, uh, this is a hard one. I know um, there's no right or wrong to it. It's loaded. But in your experience, everything you've gone through, what's your definition of pancreatic cancer? Oh, wow. I heard you ask this question of the other day on one of your podcasts and I remember it was yesterday actually I listened to it and I was like man how am I going to answer that and uh, my definition uh, it's a journey 
it's a journey, man. It's, it's, uh, it's so many things wrapped up in one. You, it, it's hard. It's, it's funny. Um, it's debilitating. Um, it's, uh, life changing. But in saying all those things, the bottom line is it, it's a journey and you, you will get, you will get out of it what you put into it. If you, uh, if you let it, if you let it beat you down, then it's going to win. And, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's hard. It's not an easy journey. It's uphill the entire way, but uh, it's it's one that can be com- that can be completed. And you just you have to finish. You have to finish. It's finish the mission. And um, I got a buddy that's on a SWAT team, and that's what he always used to tell me: finish the mission, man. Finish the mission. No matter how how hard it is, just finish. And and he was right. And uh, it's don't let it beat you that's that's what it that's what it comes down to it it's a journey that that you can finish as long as you don't let it beat you powerful jamie uh i gotta be 100 percent honest with you man I, I i shed a tear here when uh got emotional for me um when you talked about your son and then, uh, I laughed when you just said, learn another language, man. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a, uh, you know, Jim Valvano, I, I'm sure you, you know, Jimmy V, I think when he did his speech, you know, he talked about every day, laugh, love, cry. And, uh, you know, we've laughed on this podcast. I've cried on this podcast and, uh, just really, really special man. And, uh, you know, um, it's an honor. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. So uh, really appreciate you opening up and sharing your journey and just hearing so many golden nuggets on this this episode. Uh, just, I've written so many of your one-liners here, man, and it just hits home. And, you know, I've been doing this 10 years and, uh, you know, I, I, I believe in God. I was born, uh, well, I was born, no kidding, was born, but was raised Roman Catholic. So uh, for, you know, pretty much the majority of my life, uh, going to church. And, um, you know, I've always said like, God puts people in, uh, in your path, you know, at various times in your life. And sometimes you need a reminder and so many powerful things that I learned on this episode. So really appreciate you being a guest. Um, last thing here, if, if, if someone listened to this podcast and they want to connect with you. I know you mentioned social media. Um, you know, what's the best place uh, for people to connect with you? Maybe there's someone who's going through it and maybe needs some assistance and would love to connect with you, or maybe has a question about you know your journey in terms of treatment and what you're going through. Where's that place? Um, you know, I, I think the best the best route for that is just you know email. And my cool. email address is J Turner T U R N E R. 7257 at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, you know, if anybody wants to reach out, that's the best way. And, um, I can, uh, you know, we can connect via email and, and just go from there. I don't mind talking to someone on the telephone after we've connected or, or whatever. Awesome. Um, so, 
Thank you, Jamie, for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. Man, you know, this has been this has been a, a pleasure for me. And uh, I appreciate that you reached out. Um, and if anybody's out there uh, and wants to see more about about kind of my journey and stuff, they can they can see it on the Warrior Poet Society's uh, Facebook page. That's where Dino and I connected. Uh, this has been uh, just an amazing an amazing hour, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jamie. All right. We'll talk soon. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear today, you're welcome to share us and continue to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, please be safe. Thanks for listening. Yeah.